Welcome back to another edition of No Block Sports. I'm your host, Jason Green, and we are all over the place with this episode 52, but just like every single other episode, we have a lot to get to. Um, the Sweet 16 and Elite 8 predictions will be coming up soon, and NBA Tread Deadline is Thursday at 3 p.m., so I'm going to give you my predictions on some of the top names where I think, and I think they'll end up going. But first, I'm going to tell you what's on my mind. I don't know what you guys did from Thursday to Sunday, but I'll tell you exactly what I did. I woke up around 11.50. Um, I brushed my teeth and I would say 11.30, showered, brushed my teeth, went downstairs and watched Martin Madness for 12 hours each day. It's basically what I did. And with the year off of hiatus, I for, I mean, I can't believe I'm saying this. I forgot how much I loved March Madness. I don't know if anyone else feels that way. And I was like, is the madness always this insane? I was just, I was watching like 2019 March Madness moments, 2018 much like 40 minute videos, the best March Madness moments to remember. And I was like, was madness always this insane? And it turns out this year has actually been the most insane it's ever been. Because of course, since the one year highest, it had to come back even better than ever. The highest average, it's the highest average seed ever to reach the Sweet 16. So the highest, this average seed at the Sweet 16 right now is 5.65. And that's absurd. Right, that is unreal. Just in the, my lifetime, I've been remembering March Madness. Here's the upsets, the 15 seeds that have won. Now, Oral Roberts obviously joining that list. Middle Tennessee when they beat uh, Michigan State. Lehigh when they beat Duke. Florida Gulf Coast being Georgetown. Norfolk State being Missouri. And UMBC beating um, Virginia. And that's 15 seeds and 16 seeds. I'm not even talking about every year the 12 and the 13 and 14 seeds that'll win. I mean, Ohio just won this year. You got UCLA and Syracuse in the Sweet 16. That's 11 seeds. I mean, Loyola Chicago was 11 seed made the Final Four. Wichita State 11 seed made the Final Four, or yeah, I think they were 11 seed. They were 12 seed. I mean, Abilene Christian just beat Texas. It was Texas's best year in Shaka Smart's history at Texas, finally making it. I actually had Abilene Christian winning in the first round. I mean, Ohio with Jason Preston, the stories, and it just makes me, you know what it made me realize, and what's really on my mind, how much better college basketball is than college football. I'm serious. It is so much better, and it's not even close. Let's start with this. Let's start about the talent disparity. Can anyone think of a mid-major program in the last five years, 10 to five years, that beat a premier program? Like, when you think about the greatest upsets, in college football history, you think of the one, and everyone's thinking the same thing. That's Appalachian State beating Michigan, right? And they won with 34-32. And I was looking at the other upsets, and yeah, like some of them. One was like Stanford-USC, 41-point favorite USC was, and I get that. But Stanford's a Pac-12 program, a premier program. Like the, be- the best stories in college football come from the teams that are already good, and they just became better. Like, I'll give you one example real quick. LSU was such a Cinderella story at 61 to win the title at the beginning of the year. Or something like that, 41. It was LSU. I mean, when I think about the five five programs at the top of my head that I'm thinking about, on the top of my head from college football, I go Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, Penn State, LSU. I think those are the top five I would think of at the top of my head since I've been watching college football. I mean, LSU, it's not no underdog story. They just don't have the upsets. Think about this year. And just think about, I'll give you 10 seconds. Think about five games on top of your head you thought were memorable this year in college football. I got I got two. I got two. I got the Georgia-Alabama game, which I didn't even watch, honestly. 
I just know Georgia was up for a little bit. And Alabama obviously came back and won. And obviously there was a very good one in the Notre Dame-Clemson game. That was a very good college football game. And that doesn't mean just like in college basketball, you get your really good mid-majors going at it every week. I remember it was like Western Michigan versus Central Michigan or something like that. And Western Michigan won on the fake spike. Like, yeah, that was a great game. But I'm talking about the games you get up for. No one's getting up for that game. Yeah, the sports degenerates. And I will watch college football on a Wednesday, the action, and I will. But the sports, who the the fans, how are you getting them up for a Saturday night game? You got eight Clemson on ABC every week playing Georgia Tech, playing Florida State, and they blow them out by 30. And here's the proof, right? Here's the proof that everything's a blowout, ready? This year, the ACC championship game, the Notre Dame rematch, Trevor Lawrence comes back, blowout, wasn't close. The SEC championship game, blowout. Oh, how about the playoffs this year, man? I get the four best teams in the country. Notre Dame versus Bama, blowout. Ohio State versus Clemson, I mean the rematch of last year, blowout. Ohio State destroyed them. Bama versus Ohio State, it's going to be a great game. Blowout. They're all blowouts. The playoffs are designed to make it the games more competitive. It's to make teams have tougher competition, make them have a resume. It's supposed to say that, hey, if Alabama loses a game versus like a team that isn't so good or Clemson loses a game, the team isn't so good that they can't make the playoff. That's not true. Clemson lost to Syracuse one year, and they still made the playoffs. Sometimes Alabama loses like to Auburn in a little slub up, and they still make the playoffs. And that's the truth. Ohio State loses maybe one game a year, still makes the playoffs. It doesn't matter. Every year, it's Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and a fourth team. And let's see how those four teams have paired in the playoffs. Oklahoma has been in there three times, or two times. No, three times, I believe. Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, and Jalen Hurts. They lost all three. Yeah, Baker Mayfield put up a fight in the first year against Georgia in the Rose Bowl. That was an all-time great game. That's another game to talk about. That, that's a great game. Blown out the other two times. Absolutely blown out. How about Notre Dame? Made it twice. One time against Clemson, one time against Alabama. Blown out both times. Washington. Remember Washington with Jake Browning? I thought Penn State probably should have made it with Saquon. Probably would have given Alabama a better fight. Blown out 38-3. to Florida State. Yeah, they won the national championship the one year. Right? And I forgot to mention Auburn in this list. They were also in it. But they got blown out when they lost to Oregon. That's the truth. There's not many good games. It's a blowout. Majority of the time, Oregon was then blown out in the next game, in the national championship game, 42-20 to against Ohio State. And LSU, the greatest team ever, blew out everybody. They blew out Oklahoma, and then they blew out Clemson. All blowouts. Nothing is close. Yes, you have some classics. Don't get me wrong, and I listed four of them here. Ohio State versus Alabama, the first national championship game. Or I think, sorry, yeah, that, that was the first one. No, 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 that was the first playoff game, the semifinal game. That was a classic. That was great. Oklahoma versus Georgia in the Rose Bowl, I just mentioned. Baker Mayfield, that was great. Alabama versus Georgia in the playoff year. That was the championship game that same year. That was great. Clemson versus Alabama, the second one was great. I think the first one, Alabama beat them handily. I think the third one, Clemson beat them handily. I think they played four times. I honestly don't even know. I lost track because it's the same thing every year. And it's easy to say that for sports. Listen, everyone knew Gonzaga was going to be the best team in the country this year, and they're still looking like the best team in the country. But look at everything surrounding that. Look at all the storylines and the upsets that we're going through. You just don't get that in college football. You never get that. I just said how LSU was the underdog. LSU was the, uh, think about that. LSU was the underdog story. 
a team that I've watched go to multiple national championships, win multiple SEC championship games, have 50 first-round picks. I don't even know, but I'll tell you they're up there, the most first-round picks in the NFL since I've been watching college football. It's not even close to the level of excitement. There's no upsets. There really isn't. There just it, there just isn't, and you're not going to be able to prove it. Everything's a blowout. Now, how do you fix this? Like, how do you fix this? I don't know. I saw something on Twitter. Is you give less scholarship and funding to these SEC, Pac-12, Big Ten, Big 12 schools. You give it more to the mid-major programs. How long do you think that would take the change? I mean, they make the most money by far. They, they just do. And it's not like a mid-major gets guaranteed anything, right? If you win your conference championship game, you get guaranteed nothing. You get guaranteed nothing. Yeah, you make a bowl game, right? I think. Yeah, no, yeah, you would automatically make a bowl game because you have to have the record for it anyway to be in the conversation game. So, yeah, you make a bowl game, and yeah, more better recruits can come to you, and that's fine. But it can never change until the NCAA comes in. College football is honestly, sometimes I find it to be a joke. Uh, once again, after going all those great games, can you really think of five to ten games of last year's college football that got you up and said, I want to watch that, or I'm really excited for that? Because Michigan-Ohio State isn't something to get up for. I mean, Penn State was trash this year. Florida State, how they doing? UCLA? USC? These are the big-name programs. LSU was trash again this year. Did you get up for any of those? Auburn? Yeah, Bo Nix, man. Most overrated player in college football. Texas A&M was decent this year. Yeah, finally. They didn't make the playoffs. Just think about that. Think of five to ten games that you got up for that you legitimately were excited for as an average college football fan. And that is what's on my mind. All right, so let's continue with my love for March Madness as we have the Sweet 16 and Elite 8 predictions. Um, if, anyone knows how, if anyone wants to know how my bracket is going so far, three of my final four are still in, but my champion is out in Illinois. I had some good upsets. I had Ohio winning in the first round. I had him in the Sweet 16. They couldn't pull through against Creighton. I actually had Abilene Christian, as I mentioned before, beating Texas. So I had some good call-outs. I had Syracuse in the second round. So I had some... I had some good calls this year and some that weren't so good, and that's just that's the madness. But I'm going to give you, from in order of the games, my prediction for every single game, and I think they'll go, and we'll just go through it. So first, let's go Loyola Chicago is a minus 6.5-point favorite against Oregon State. I told you I had Illinois winning it all. Not only did Loyola Chicago win that game, right? I would say it was an upset because of seeding-wise, but they dominated. I mean, if you were just watching that game for the first time, you're watching college basketball, right? You could tell that Los Chicago was just clearly a better team, more prepared, better coached, better, I would say, chemistry. I wouldn't say talent, but they had much better chemistry, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, there was no easy looks. There was not a single easy look that I can think of that Illinois got, except maybe at the end of the half, they running little slips with Kofi Coburn. There's not a single easy look. They're giving up 59.5 points for game up in the tourney. And that's actually a little bit more than they're giving up in the regular season. It's around 56. I mentioned how they dominated the entire game. Cameron Crutwig was fantastic. 19 points, 12 rebounds, 5 assists, 5 assists, 4 steals. And why I think this game is so fascinating is that Oregon State, who they're playing, was projected to be last in the Pac-12 this year. And why are they winning these games? Well, right now they're out-rebounding opponents 93-66. to 93. They outrebounded Oklahoma State by 20. 
I mean, that's an absurd margin. And I've always known Ethan Thompson is. Thompson's always been a good, consistent mid-range shooter, good score on the college level. He's averaging 19.5 points per game in the tourney. Give me Loyola in this matchup, right? And Gianna Hunt, Lucas. I mean, they got some good players. If they had trust Tinkle here, I mean, this game would have been a lot more interesting, a lot more scoring versatility. But sometimes that's how it's college basketball works. Not your best team makes it further than you expect. I'm going to give me Loyola. Sister Jean prays and keeps this thing going alive as Loyola. I keep this in the lower scoring game. But if they can keep out rebounding, it's going to be hard for Cameron to out rebound Cameron Carpenter. They got a little bit more size than what Oregon State has faced so far. But give me the better defense and really the better team here. But, my, you know, the madness is real. I'm going to take Loyola in a lower scoring game. I'll go like, I think Loyola will win this pretty easily. I think like a 68-58 game is around that margin. So that's what I got, Loyola-Chicago. All right, the next game is Baylor, who's a minus 7 versus Villanova. And Baylor's look good. Um, I remember doing my March Madness preview. I said that I won Villanova losing the first round to Winthrop. So I did not expect them to uh, go this far. But the truth is that Baylor's looked exceptional. They had a little uh, mix-up at the end of the year, losing a two of three. Or sorry, like they went two and three and two at the end of the year. For Baylor standards, how good they are is not good. Um, no Gillespie. And when you play a defense this good and you don't have your premier ball handler, your premier offensive, you know, who you run, who really controls the offense, it's going to be tough. I saw this line at six and a half. It's like, I love Baylor in the spot. The, Villanova played exceptional against uh, North Texas, like exceptional. And that's why I feel like this line is this low, and some people might take Nova. I love Baylor in the spot. Macy Oteague, uh, Davion Mitchell, Jared Butler. I mean, Flagler. There's Flagler, and there's, I think there's two Flaglers. There's one Flagler, one Hagler. I always forget which one's which, but they're exceptional. They're absolutely just exceptional. Uh, vital. I mean, they're just deep. They're good. They play defense. I think this team is way too talented. And you faced better shooting and guard play that you're going to get in this game in Wisconsin. Wisconsin was a really good test to face Villanova. Very similar teams. They'll spread you out. They'll shoot you a lot of threes. They'll play through their bigs and post-up isolations with Nate Reavers, uh, Michael Potter, and now you got James Robinson Earl. A little more versatility, I would say, on Villanova with Jermaine Samuels and Brandon Slater than you would get with like Ford with Wisconsin. But I'm going to go with Novier. I think they win pretty big. I'm sorry, sorry. I think Paler wins pretty big here, at least by double digits, and they cover. All right, the next game is probably the game I might be most excited for, and that's Arkansas versus Oral Roberts. No 15 seed has ever made it to the Sweet 16. Florida Gulf Coast came really close. Um... And they actually lost to Florida, which is interesting because Oral Roberts beat Florida to get into the spot. I think Oral Roberts has a chance here. I knew I liked them against Florida because Florida shot very well and hit a lot of tough shots to beat Virginia Tech. And I didn't think Virginia Tech was that good. Arkansas is a different breed. I thought Arkansas had a very good first matchup. And they've been tested twice. When you've been tested, it only makes you better. They were tested in the first round against Colgate when they were down by 15 at one point. And they were tested against Texas Tech. Texas Tech was a missed free throw and two wide open missed layups away from winning that game. But you could argue that Oral Roberts has the best player on the floor. When you have the best player on the floor in college basketball, right, you have a chance. And that's the truth. They have the best guard, and especially when it's a guard. Max Abbas is unbelievable, and this team shoots free throw percentages at the highest clip in the NCAA. If they can get hot again from three, and that's 20, they've made 21 threes this tournament, I think they obviously have a chance. Now, Desi Sills, uh, Moses Moody. Moses Moody 
I love his game, but he takes a lot of tough shots. If Oral Roberts can, can string consecutive buckets and force Moody to take tough shots, not that saying he can't make them, but take tough shots and then get some little extra possessions out of it, a tough shot to me is just as bad as a turnover sometimes. It's a bad shot. You fall down because it's so tough. You know, you can't get back on defense. And Oral Roberts will no, no trouble pushing the pace and shooting threes. I like Oral Roberts to cover in this game easily with the 11. I think it's a much closer game than people think. But I think Arkansas will have as no. – I'm just going to go with history. That's the truth. I won Oral Roberts win. I'll be rooting for Oral Roberts win. History says no 15 seeds ever made the Sweet 16. So I'm going to have it keep going like that. I have Arkansas winning, but Oral Roberts is going to cover. All right, here's the next game that I, I mean, who doesn't love this game? Houston versus Syracuse. Syracuse is in the Sweet 16 for the third straight times a double digit seed. This is the 2 3 zone is the best defense in college football. And all, sorry, I said football, college basketball, and it always has been. Houston, to me, has one elite shooter, and that's Marcus Sasser. And I've been on record saying if Houston didn't lose Caleb Mills, I'd have him in my final four. Um, they don't. And that means they're a little bit more, they're not as deep. And De, Dejan Girard, to me, did not look 100% versus Rutgers. But going back, they have one elite shooter in Marcus Sasser, who so far this tournament shot 6 of 23, and he's 3 of 13 from deep. And he's only averaging 9 points per game. If he can't get it going, and maybe the zone will help him, but just be spotting up and just shooting. If he can't get it going, I love Syracuse in the spot. Listen, once again, if they can get hot from 3, and it just seems like that's what they do. Joe Girard, Buddy Boheim, Alan Griffin. I mean, they just got 3-point shooters. They have 29 threes in the tourney. 13 by Buddy Beheim. He has 52 points in the two games as well. This is the upset. I'm screaming it. I would definitely take Syracuse on the sixth to cover, and I would sprinkle the money line. I got Syracuse winning this game. All right, now we're going to the Sunday slate, and the first game is Gonzaga versus Creighton. This is another very interesting game. You have very good three-point shooters. I mean, this is all you got. I mean, you got three-point shooters everywhere on Gonzaga. You obviously have Nemhard, Corey Kirsbridge, Timmy, Ayala, I mean, Jalen Suggs. I can't tell you how big of a fan I am of Jalen Suggs. Like, I'm serious. I, I think, to me, he's easily a top-five pick, and I would consider taking him in— I mean, we can get to Evan Mobley later, but if he wins a tournament because he's the most outstanding player that I think he can be, I think he could be a top-three pick easily and even potential number-one pick. But that's for another day. Obviously, on the Crane side, you have Marcus Zagorowski, Damian Jefferson, Mitch Ballock, Denzis Mahoney. I mean, even McConnell can come down and shoot threes. This is what these guys do. They shoot threes. Both these teams shoot threes. And it's going to be a track meet. But here's the truth. Zagorowski, who I think has Steph Curry impact, and I've said that before, has they have a chance to win if he gets hot. He has to put up 30 in this game. He has to be exceptional. And if he gets doubled... To me, he's got to have at least 10 assists. So he doesn't have 30 points, right? But he's in double, and he's got to kick it to Mahoney. He's got to kick it to Balak, and they got to get hot from three. They got to knock him down, and I think they can stay in this game. Gonzaga's dominated so far this tournament, and they haven't really been tested at all this year except maybe BYU and West Virginia. That two games I can think of, they've been tested. So in the tournament, it's a different animal. Oklahoma was never close. Norfolk State was never close. If Creighton can get hot from three and keep it close, you never know. And that's the truth. I think this is going to be a really good test for Gonzaga. I think just Gonzaga is a better version of Creighton, right? That's just the truth. They're just a better version of Creighton. I think Gonzaga pulls away late, but I think it's closer than people think. 
I, I, I would not throw this game as a betting man. 13 half is an awkward line. One shock me if Gonzaga pulled away lane one by 15. One be shocked if it was free throws and it ended up being a 9-8 point game. So I'm going to take Gonzaga, but I think this game's closer than people think. All right, the next game is a game that I love. And this is a game I had set up right away. I In my bracket, I actually have Florida State beating Michigan. Michigan's a minus two and a half point favorite. And they haven't, FSU didn't make a three, I think maybe in the first game against Greensboro. And I'm just going to mention again, I love when teams are tested early. It's knows what you're made of. And FSU was tested in how they came out against an insanely hot Colorado team. And they basically shut them down. They haven't shot the three well, and hopefully, I think they shot a little better against Colorado, but they're going to need to shoot the three well to beat Michigan. Um, they also have two seven-footers in Kurtzabitza and, and Bala to um, to rotate against Dickinson, right? And that is going to be key. That means one of them can get in foul trouble to me, and that, to me, I'm comfortable with, right? I mean, Leonard Hamilton plays 10 guys. That's the truth. He plays 10 guys, and having two seven-footers and Kutsurita, oh, and sorry, I said Mbala. I don't know where I came from. And Engam, sorry, is going to be huge. Now I mentioned you have Scotty Lewis, um, Gary, um, Evans, Polite. I mean, this team is stacked, and that's the truth. MJ Walker, I mean, this team is at Calhoun. I mean, Wilkes, this team is actually stacked. With no Isaiah Livers, right? And let's just, let's just be honest. I watched that full LSU game. If Shoddy Brown and Eli Brooks didn't get extremely hot from three, I don't know if Michigan wins that game. But they did. And FSU has been one of the best teams in the country in defending three, one of the best teams in the country in defending in general, especially in this tournament. I think this is a, they're going to, just the size, they match up so well. I'm going to need MJ Walker to be MJ Walker. He hasn't really been great this tournament yet. If he can get hot from three, like I know he can, I'm taking Florida State to win this game. It started at a minus three. It's already now a minus two and a half. Florida State wins in an upset in this game. All right, the next game is Al or the last game that we have is Alabama versus UCLA, and this game is so interesting, man. You got such good guards in this game for UCLA: Tiger Campbell, Johnny Juzang, and Jamie Jacquez Jr. And I'm just gonna side note this real quick. I love Calipari, and there hasn't been many guys in Calipari's transfer history. I was like, yeah, Calipari missed on this one. Like he didn't do the job he was supposed to do. I mean, Ryan Harrow transferred to Georgia State. Didn't matter. Quade Green going to Washington. Didn't matter. Is anyone really worried about Cameron Fletcher, wherever he's going to transfer? I don't think so. But Johnny Juzang, he messed up on. And because he was such a good shooter, he just didn't utilize him properly. I really think Johnny Juzang could have been utilized much more. And you're seeing how smooth his game is at UCLA. I mean, he is playing real well. I think he's averaging around 20 points per game so far in this tourney in the three games that he's played. He's been unbelievable. And on the Alabama side, you have Javon Quiverly, Jordan Shackelford, and John Petty, all light-up three-point shooters who can just attack the rim at any time, great ball handlers, and create for others. You also have Herbert Jones, I mean, Reese. Both these teams are good. This is a very exciting matchup to me, and I just feel like this is going to be a really good game. I think Bama wins this, but UCLA covers. Uh, two good coaches, Nate Oates and McCronin. Wouldn't be shocked if, and I'm serious, I wouldn't be shocked if either team won. I have Alabama in my lead eight, so I'm going to take Bama. Okay, now we actually have the last game, and my apologies on that, and USC versus Oregon. This team actually already played, actually they're both in the Pac-12. Both these teams already played once, USC won 72-58. The truth is that USC size is just dominating in this tournament with the Mobley twins, Isaiah and Evelyn, and Evan, um, giving up 53.5 points per game so far. Oregon shot, I had worries, I thought Iowa... Even though I knew McCaffrey, 
Um, Coach McCaffrey's never been out of the second round. I just thought Oregon, Iowa got their first game out of the way. They actually kind of test a little bit by Grand Canyon, and Oregon wouldn't be ready, and they start off a little slow. Well, they didn't start off slow at all. 55%, 56% from the field, basically in 11 threes and 44%. Here's the truth. USC is just a different animal with size. Yes, Iowa size and Luca Garza. They don't have size in the Mobley Twins, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And Drew Peterson and Taj. I mean, they just have size all around. I think the shortest guy is 6'5 that they play in the starting lineup. So this game is a, is a classic game of athletes versus size. Oregon's got better athletes. USC also has athletes, don't get me wrong, but they just have more size. I mean, Omari, Durante, Figueroa, Richardson, their tallest guy is 6'6". I think this is just a bad matchup for Oregon, but again, if they can get hot, Dan Allman has been probably the best coach in the Pac-12 since he's been there, right? and there's a reason why his teams always have a little bit of success. In the 20, I think they made the lead eight a couple years ago with Dylan Brooks, and also that when they were 12 seed, they made the Sweet 16, so they always are doing well in the 20. I like USC to win this game. I think their size in the low twins just continues to dominate and defensively suffocate. I'll take USC to cover the minus two and a half. All right, so let's just get into my Elite Eight predictions real quick without any in-depth detail. I have Gonzaga beating USC. Um, basically, both have really good size, but now I'm just getting a much better offensive team So, and better, much better guard play. I'm getting Gonzaga to beat USC. I got Florida State beating Alabama. I think their size can really disrupt um, their guards. And Herbert Jones can be an interesting game. Herbert Jones, first, get, first gray, Raquan Gray. That's going to be a very interesting matchup. Um, I got Baylor beating Arkansas. And I got Syracuse being loyal to Chicago. So my final four is Gonzaga, Florida State, Baylor, and Syracuse. And maybe that's a little uh, one-sided by me because I do have Gonzaga, Florida State, and Baylor in my final four. So, of course, I'm going to pick who I think is going to win via my bracket. But those are my predictions for those Elite Eight games. So there we go. That's my predictions for the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight. And we'll see how they go. All right, switching gears to the NBA, we are 24 hours away from the trade deadline, and by the time you listen to this, it will be closer. So there's a lot of names on the table this year. I'm just going to give you where I think they'll get traded to if they get traded. I'll, I'll probably mention a few other teams, too, I think they get traded to, but I think this is also the, the way I'm doing it. Is I also think it's their best fit if they get traded to this team. Like I, I think this would be the best fit for them if they got traded. So let's get into it. So the first one's going to be Aaron Gordon. Aaron Gordon recently said he's, I mean, he's basically done with the magic. Um, he's said he's had a lot of frustrations and he, he wants to be traded. So he's definitely gone. Now, I wonder if that will kill his price range. But to me, the Portland Trailblazers are the best team for him. Portland's very good right now, 25 and 18. I think they're fourth in the Western Conference or fourth or fifth. But the truth is, with Nurkic out, they don't have a reliable third score, and they're never really. They can go for Nurkic and run their offense through him, but a forward, they don't have a forward that can get a bucket. Derek Jones and Robert Covington are really good, but they don't have a forward that can get a bucket on their own. And I think, and especially an athletic guy, he'd be great with CJ on the pick and roll, pick and pop. Same with Dame. You can run just a lot more offensive sets and get up and down. I think he'd really fit as an athletic four. And the truth is, Portland has a lot of trade pieces to get rid of. That's why I loved them in the beginning of the year. Anthony Simons, Gary Trent Jr. really came in his own when CJ was out. So I think he's off the table. But Anthony Simons, Harry Giles, and Nasir Little, you got pieces to get rid of. And if you have to get rid of one of Derek Jones or Robert Covington, I don't see why they wouldn't do so to get a much better player in Aaron Gordon. Would your defense falter a little bit? Yes. But your offense would obviously become much better. And so would your athleticism if you got rid of someone like um, Covington. So 
the truth is I really like this deal for Portland. Now it seems the Celtics are interested and so are the Knicks. And I don't know how the, the Celtics might be able to give you a better offer if they're really going to get rid of you know Marcus Smart or then get rid of their millions of picks that they still have. But to me, the best fit would be Aaron Gordon to the Portland Trailblazers, and that's where I think he'll end up going. All right, let's go with another Magic player, Nikolai Vucevic. The truth is the Magic are in a weird spot because they're not going to make the playoffs, and they really should trade both these guys for first-round picks. But, I mean, they don't really have anything in Mo... They haven't even given Mo Bamba a chance. And I think this is the time to give Mo Bamba a chance. So, I think Vucevic is going to go to the Spurs. Right? That's where I see him. And maybe he just seems like an international guy. just seems like a guy that goes to the Spurs. But here's an interesting trade that I came up with. DeRozan and Pirtle in a first for Vucevic. Does that not sound like it's the same exact trade that was traded? Uh, actually, Danny Green was involved. But, um... Or no, no, because Danny Green went to Toronto. The same trade that came back for Kawhi. DeRozan, Pirtle in a first. I think that works because they want to get rid of DeRozan and play their younger guards and Derek Wright, Vassal, Keldon Johnson, and DeJounte Murray. And DeRozan can keep the magic relevant. That's the truth. He can keep the magic relevant, especially when all their guards are hurt and Cole Anthony and uh, Markel Fultz. So I think this could work for both sides, and they can give him another big in return, a young big in Pirtle, who will maybe push Mo Bamba and they'll have two young bigs to have. I think this trade is fair, and I think the Spurs need to make this move because the Spurs are 22 and 18, and I haven't even, I should have taken a segment to what's on my mind for Greg Popovich and how he does it. RC Buford, one year out of the playoffs, and right now they're right back in it, and they're developing great young talent once again. But Nikolai Vucevic, to me, he gets them over the top, will keep them in the playoff race. They were doing pretty well. They have guard talent to really make up for DeRozan's loss, but they don't have the big talent. So I really think this would be a win for them if the Spurs did it. So I got Nikolai Vucevic going to the San Antonio Spurs. All right, Kyle Lowry is a huge name, the NBA champion. And right now, it seems like it's between the Miami Heat and the Sixers. But I just kind of learned on my phone 30 minutes ago say that you can't put the Lakers out of that spot. So if Lakers might give up THT or Caruso, which is definitely what the they're going to ask for, um, that's what it's going to take. I have them going to the Heat. Um, the Sixers, to me, doesn't make sense. Um, one, he wants an extension where every signs. The Sixers have three max players on contracts. So obviously you can make contracts work for the trade right now, getting rid of like Maxi and Danny Green and like a first. And yes, you could easily do that. Um, but the way the Sixers are constructed right now really works for them. You have three elite defenders, or four when Embiid really gets back. They're really playing great defense without Embiid, but three elite perimeter defenders and Simmons, Thibel, and Danny Green. And that matches up what they have to play against the Nets, and then they can just dominate inside because the Nets have no one to guard Embiid. So Kyle Lowry, yes, could check Kyrie Irving the hypothetical situation. but And yes, it will help you but offensively, but it just doesn't seem to work, especially when you have all those contracts and you have to pay him again because he wants to stay and he wants a guaranteed extension. I don't think it's going to work. The Heat, they have a lot of young talent besides Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero, and I understand the Raptors want one of them, but you can also get Casey Acapala, you can get Precious Achua or Kendrick Nunn, and you could put a lot of picks in there. I don't think it's that desperate that they have to get Tyler Hero. If you're willing to take Danny Green and Tyrese Maxey, why not take a Chua Nunn and Azapala? I can't pronounce that. Uh, Azapala. The guy from Stanford. K, I'm just going to call him KZ. We're going to call him KZ. Right? That, to me, is very similar offers. If Especially since the other team's going to have to sign Larry to an extension, too, which the Heat will be much more willing to give since they only have Jimmy Butler and Bam and Abayo on max contracts and could possibly do that. 
So the, the, the Miami Heat clearly to me are the best and most obvious option, but it seems like Kyle Lowry can end up anywhere, and if he ends up in L.A. in the Lakers, that would be very interesting. All right, the next name is John Collins, and this is the one name I'm saying, why is he getting traded? And I think he stays. I'm actually perplexed why the Hawks want to get rid of him. Since Lloyd Pierce was firing, they're 8-1, and one, and they're now the fourth seed in the East. He's also very young. He's averaging 19 points per game and 9 rebounds on 54% field goal percentage. Now, if they don't want to pay him, because he obviously rejected that contract extension, thinking he's worth more, fine, I understand that. But he's an athletic big who fits today's game really well. Made a pick-and-pop pip pick and roll with Trey Young and the lobs athletic finish that he is he fits so well with him and I was a little perplexed when they traded for Compella because it takes really the athleticism sometimes out of him because I think John Collins could really play the five now of course apparently they asked they wanted John Collins from Marcus Smart and the boss or that's what they said that's what Boston wanted right and Atlanta goes well yeah we'll think about it but get Jalen Brown involved right get Jalen Brown we'll give you more like a Jalen Brown for Collins and Bogdanovich deal and maybe picks from the Hawks. So that's where it gets really interesting. Maybe you add Kevin Herter there. The Hawks have a lot of young talent. But for now, if you can get a bigger name, like a Jalen Brown, right? Or maybe even like you go to the Kings and get Buddy Heald and pair him up with Trey Young. I love it, and I like the deal, right? But otherwise that, if you're training him for a role player, just get rid of the salary cap, I, I, I don't know if it's... I, to me, obviously it might be worth it because he might just leave in free agency. But I just don't think he gets traded. That's my honest truth. I don't think he goes. John Collins stays. All right. The Ball brother, Lonzo Ball. It came out to report that the Pelicans are not interested in keeping him for his future. One, he he does fit with Zion, but he, if he was the singular card, but I keep saying the Pelicans keep getting all these cards to come in. Now they got Carol Lewis Jr., Alexander Walker. seem like they might like better, younger, and cheaper. And you also have Bledsoe and George Hill there, which I've never understood um, why he was there too. Or actually, I think George Hill is in OKC. But the the truth is that it, it didn't make sense the, the way they were fitting around this team. So I think he can go to the Clippers, and here's why. He's a better shooter than Beverly with the same defensive skills, a little bit taller. He's a way better fit and defender than Lou Williams, and Tyron Lewis showed you that by Tyron Lou not playing Williams nearly as much as Doc Rivers did. And he's clearly just a better player than Reggie Jackson. So I think a trade of Lou Kennard, Lou Williams, and a first could work and I think that's not a bad deal the Pelicans get more shooting in Luke Kennard and Lou Williams and the Clippers get still shooting back right and an elite defensive guard that they get another body that they can just throw out LeBron I think that could be a win-win and the Clippers are the best case scenario for Lonzo Ball and he's going to a contender by the way all right last player is Victor Oladipo so he's apparently that he's apparently not staying with the Rockets right he, he denied an extension from him and the Rockets it, it is going to be a guarantee that he is gone right with Porzingis in and on the lineup I love him going to the Mavericks it gives them a reliable second scorer that they think they need besides Luka and also he can handle the ball I think averages around four or five assists per game so he can be a secondary facilitator to me the Mavericks are 22 and 19 and the truth is it you're not getting, I remember saying this, I didn't think they got better, so that's why I didn't have them very high, I think I had them in the playoffs as like a 7 or 8 seed, because to me, they weren't any better than the year before, and they got rid of their shooting with Seth Curry, you need to make a move, I mean, you got to prove to Luka Doncic you want to win, right, and you only have so long on your rookie contract, Victor Oladipo could be a third guy to create a big three, and you could still probably keep Tim Hardaway Jr., because I don't think the Rockets want him, I think you could do Josh Richardson, Dwight Powell, and Picks, 
And I think that could work because I think those are players that Houston could eventually flip or you can get a third team involved that other teams would want, Athletic Big and Dwight Powell and a good 3 and D player in Josh Richardson to get Houston more picks and you could do a three-team trade. So I think Victor Oladipo's most obvious scenario is the Dallas Mavericks. Um, other names that could be traded are like Jeremy Grant, Norman Powell. I mean, Malcolm Brogdon, Miles Turner's names have been thrown out there because the Pacers haven't been as good as you would think. It's going to be an interesting trade deadline. I hope it's not one of those where all these names are being thrown out there and then nothing happens like it usually does. But to me, I think this could be a really good trade deadline. And those are my predictions. All right. Thank you once again for joining me on another episode. If you made it this far, like, comment, subscribe. You can get this on NoBuckSports.com. Or you can also get it on my Anchor and my Spotify. And we're also on Apple, Apple Podcasts, so you can get it anywhere. Um, next week, we'll probably preview the Elite Eight. Um, I'll do some NFL free agent. So, I mean, I'll see you guys next time. Thanks for joining me.